Welcome back to another Congregation 5 podcast. I'm Matt Avery, and I am here with Anna Kaufman. Hello. Anna, I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, will you tell us a little bit about you? Sure. So I am originally a Midwest gal from the heartland of America, but actually this is this month is six years in Nashville. Wow. Congrats. And thank you. And also six years at Midtown. When I had originally moved to Nashville, I was here at Vanderbilt taking some classes and was extremely stressed and was like, I need to go to church ASAP <laughs> and got on a bike and was just riding around 12 South and saw Midtown and parked my bike and walked in. Wow. And that was exactly six years ago. So here we are. Wow. Um, so it's really sweet to see the Lord work in all of that. And a little bit about me, I uh, am an account manager at a marketing agency here in Nashville. And I've been really into cooking lately. Again, I used to like cook all the time. Okay. And this quarantine season has brought me back to my love of cooking. So um, I've been watching a ton of like documentary series on Netflix about cooking and getting really inspired. Yeah. And so that's been the thing. Okay. Give yeah. me like, what's your dish? Either your specialty or what do you love making right now? Right now it's curry. And I actually just learned in a documentary series, curry is not like a specific flavor, which Americans think a lot of times it is, but um, it's actually just like a soup type dish. That's what curry is. And so there's a million different types of curry. And so recently I made a sweet potato chicken curry. Wow. And it was pretty bomb. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if you want to drop any of that off at the Avery house. Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, I was going to, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, Anna. Well, hey, today we're going to talk about suffering and uh, the, the strength and encouragement that we need in suffering. And so I want to cast this vision for us as we get started before we jump into our passage. The church that God is building in our midst in Congregation 5 is not going to be an audience for people to come in and perform for. I was running with a couple friends yesterday, and it made me think of this picture. It's not a pace group that we're going to have to keep up with. It's not a place where you go show off or show, prove that you belong. But this is going to be a community of strength and encouragement where people are transformed by God's grace in the midst of suffering. And so in order for us to come alongside the Holy Spirit in building this kind of community, this kind of church— there's some things that we need to do and we need to bring to the table. Uh, one is we need to expect suffering. We're going to talk about that. We need to know that our souls need strengthening from Jesus. And then lastly, we need to be able to share our suffering with each other so that our brothers and sisters can strengthen our souls with the gospel and encourage us to keep going, to keep letting Jesus lead us, to keep letting Jesus change us in the midst of our uh, what Paul calls tribulation here. So... Um, we're going to get into the passage now, and I'm going to ask Anna to read, if you don't mind. I'll, I'll set it up as you're getting there. This is still Paul's first missionary journey. He's moving from place to place, sharing the gospel. Some places he gets a very warm reception, some places uh, not so much. And in this passage, we're picking up right after Paul has been in this place where people thought that he was a god and were trying to worship him. And then things change very quickly. And so this is Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 23. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. 
But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Anna, what do you think about that? You know, as I was sitting on this passage, I was thinking how difficult it would be in my own flesh to be stoned and to get right back up and walk into the city (laughs) (laughs) and preach again. That dude got right back up and walked right back into the city where he got a bunch of rocks to the face. And to see right afterwards, prayer and fasting, committing himself to the Lord with the disciples around him, I immediately put myself in Paul's shoes and thought, there's absolutely no way Mm. that I would have done that. There's no way that after experiencing trauma like that, that I would walk back into a city. And it really showed me how often I depend on my own strength. Mm. And as you see in a lot of Acts, it's talking about the spirit within Paul and how Mm. Paul and Barnabas are traveling from city to city. And the first line of the passages are, the spirit was with them. The spirit was leading them into that place and with those people and just how integral this Holy Spirit is in this journey and spurring them on. Yeah, I read this passage and I had similar thoughts and I I thought, okay, first of all, this guy has a strength that I don't have within me. Second of all, this guy knows something that I don't know. As those rocks were pelting him in the face, it was actually strengthening his resolve to do the very thing that he was getting stoned for. And I just think, man, there's something there that we need to stop and pay attention to. And I love what you said because it's not that Paul was this incredible guy. It's that Paul was connected to this incredible God Mm. who was moving and reshaping his vision for life and giving him strength that he didn't have. Yeah, you know, we're going to get into it, but that's really important for us, for for anyone who's going to follow Jesus and try to go on on this mission with him. So first, let's talk about tribulation. Really what we're going to focus in today on verse 22 here, Paul not only goes back into the city where he was just stoned almost to death, but then he he goes back to every city that he has shared the gospel and seen people come to faith on this journey. He goes back to all those cities on his way back home to strengthen the souls of the disciples, encourage them to continue in the faith, and tell them that they need to know that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. We're, we're going to focus on the tribulations and the, the strengthening of souls. So first of all, this, this idea of tribulation, it, it's whatever brings pain and suffering. And so what kind of forms of tribulation, if we're talking like big categories, uh, what are we talking about when we're talking tribulation? I don't know about you, Matt, but I tend to put tribulation, that word in like its own category. And so to me, tribulation can't be all pain and suffering. It has to be like only the stonings. It has to be (laughs) only like these major life events that are extremely traumatic and I tend to downplay all of those moments in my life where 
I do feel pain and suffering, but I wouldn't call it pain and suffering. Yeah. In those moments of like, it wasn't supposed to be this way. Mm-hmm. And I know I, when I was reading this and as we were talking about that, that really did something in my heart. In my head, it's always been tribulation has to be this major event that alters, you know, circumstantially yeah. everything. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that, Anna, because what we do a lot of times when we narrow that category of what counts as tribulation, then 100% of the pain and suffering that I experience in my life doesn't count. And so now I've just shamed my own pain and suffering, and that actually keeps me from not only facing it and confessing it, like you said, that things aren't working the way that they're supposed to, that acknowledging that we live in a fallen world and things are not as they should be, but it also keeps me from bringing it to Jesus. And it keeps me from bringing it to my brothers and sisters in Christ to help me bring it to Jesus. The reality is that tribulation can come in many forms. Uh, It comes from just living in a fallen world, the disease and death and hard things that we experience. It comes from my own sin. It comes from your sin. And uh, it also comes from spiritual warfare, that's something that we don't think about a lot or talk about a lot as spiritual warfare. So I want to spend just a, a minute talking about that. In Ephesians six twelve, Paul says, hey, let me make something really clear. First of all, we're in a war. Second of all, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not that I'm surrounded by people who are jerks or they're mistreating me. Our battle is actually against these spiritual powers of darkness that are actively working in the world, and they are trying to destroy the things of God and the people of God. So, Anna, talk to me about that. Talk to me about, you know, how have you thought or not thought about spiritual warfare in terms of your own life and suffering from that? I tend to think of spiritual warfare as 10% of the enemy working against me, but then still, like, I'm causing the majority of it. I think I put so much of weight on my sin and my past sin especially. I was thinking about that this week even of if I have a conversation with my mom or a close friend and I'm not kind in the way I wanted to be kind or I just let my pride take over the conversation, I will sit in the guilt of that for a really long time and Mm. point the finger at myself. And honestly, like, like a movie reel, like play back what happened and wish that I would have said something differently. And I think that just points a lot to the pride in my own heart of wanting to have a certain image, control Mm -hmm. a certain image of the way that people see me and also not hold on to the grace that God's already freely given me. Right. Thanks for your grace, but I'm actually going to put it over here and I'm going to continue to think of the way that I could have said that differently and had been better on my own instead of depending on you and how the enemy loves that. He loves when we play (laughs) those movie reels back and sit in that and focus on the sin instead of like who we really are. Yeah, because the enemy loves to isolate us from God and from God's grace in Christ from the truth of the gospel. And he also loves to isolate us from our brothers and sisters in Christ who can remind us what's true. And so, again, the same way we do is tribulation, and tribulation has to be this big epic thing. We do the same thing with spiritual warfare. 
let's paint another broader picture of spiritual warfare with a lot more textures and colors. Instead of spiritual warfare only being this thing where this Grim Reaper character comes out of the sky and stands in front of me and threatens me or casts a spell on me, which I think is some version of that is what a lot of us are tempted to think about with spiritual warfare. What if spiritual warfare showed up more like me being constantly distracted from the life that God's called me to live or me being so self-absorbed that I'm so busy taking care of myself and worrying about myself that God and the gospel are totally cropped out of the picture. Anna, what are some other things like that, that uh, other facets of spiritual warfare that you think about? Yeah, I think about the world we're living in right now and having to slow down and how right before a lot of us being in quarantine, just this hamster wheel of life that a lot of us are on. I know I've been on that drug of hurry and quick for mm-hmm. a really long time, believing that the things that I do and the people that I'm able to spend time with, it's like a barometer for success. I know, Matt, you and I have talked about this a lot, both being Enneagram <laughs> threes yes, of I yeah. am what I do and not who I am resting in Christ. Mm-hmm. And just how even certain events or things on my calendar even like a Christian agenda um, mm-hmm. can distract me from true communion with Jesus. Yeah. And um, I think even that in itself, the enemy can use culture and the world we're living in and that, that pace of life mm-hmm. to distract us. Yeah, and it's really this, our pride and unbelief, you know, this cynicism of, no, this is just the way things are. God doesn't intervene in our lives anymore. All the stuff that we read in scripture is like this distant fairy tale And so this is the real world. My expectations should match the world that I live in. And so we stop believing that God can and does and will and wants to move in our lives in powerful ways and the lives of the people around us. And like you shared a minute ago when you were talking about those scenarios, when you you see your own sin, what about shame and guilt? You know, in Christ, our shame and our guilt has been taken away, but we can spend so much time living under the weight of our shame and guilt when... Uh, We don't have to. A lot of times I think about spiritual warfare as, you know, the enemy can't separate us from Christ, but he can make us live like uh, we are still slaves and we are still separated from Christ, even though that's not true. And so just all these different ways that he crops Jesus out of the picture. Okay, so we've got this, these different forms of tribulation that we encounter in the world. Why do we need to be told to expect suffering? It feels like that should be obvious. Like we've lived long enough now and we've experienced all kinds of different uh, types of pain and suffering of varying degrees. Why is Paul making clear like, no, 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 you need to be told to expect suffering? Yeah, I think when suffering comes along, most of the time we're not expecting it and it side sweeps us. And, you know, if I am surprised by suffering and I think it's this thing that, just came out of nowhere and is really just specific to me, then I start to isolate myself and mm-hmm. I move away from how I was meant to live, which is to sit with others and with God in that suffering to be with others. Mm-hmm. And I start to try to figure it out on my own to understand why it's happening, how it's going to alter my life and go down this path of self-sufficiency, which is not how we are meant as a church to suffer. 
Yeah. I love what you said, and I want to dig into the next level of that. What is it about you experiencing suffering that causes you to pull back from God and from other people? Like, what do you think that mechanism is? I think a lot of the times suffering shows me what my heart is really holding on to, which a lot of the times is not God. (laughs) (laughs) And shows me all those other little things that I thought were going to give me hope or I thought were going to be safe, whether that's the perfect job or finances, um, what's ever in my bank account, or maybe it's the people that were around me I thought were never going to disappoint me. And all of a sudden, those things fell through. And I feel the shame of I loved those things more than I maybe even realized. And so Mm. I back away. I don't want to admit that. I don't admit that to God. I don't admit that to the people around me. And that's difficult. Yeah, if I don't expect suffering similar to what you shared, I will pull back from the table uh, when I'm surprised by my suffering, uh, whether that's brought on by my sin or spiritual warfare and temptation to to not believe the gospel. Um, Whatever it is, I'll pull back from God and from other people because I feel like I should be able to handle this. And so when I'm not able to handle this, then I'm ashamed by that. I feel like I'm surprised by my own sin. I'm surprised by my own weakness. And uh, I'm surprised by my own neediness. We were talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan in our small group last night, and the Lord really convicted me in a loving way, and He's in the process of taking me on a journey through that parable. Um, it's We're not finished yet, but uh, just showing me how how little I actually show mercy, and it's because of how little I actually want to receive mercy. Paul knows that these temptations are there for us, and so that's why he's saying, you all need to hear this. You all need to expect suffering and pain and tribulations of all kinds so that when they come, one, you won't feel like they're only happening to you and that there's something wrong with you. You'll know that this is just what we should expect. As Anna and I were talking about that this week, a picture came to me of like somebody who's never played football before. And it's like if they learn how to be a quarterback and they learn how to throw the ball and how to make the plays and read the plays, but they never knew that there was a team on the other side of the field that was going to try to stop them and is going to tackle them, their experience of a football game is going to be very different from somebody who knows from right out of the gate that there are people on the other side of this field who are trying to stop us. And uh, there's going to be pain and there's going to be suffering, but that's part of the game. And I think that's what Paul is, is saying to us is do not be surprised by suffering. Don't let it rattle you. Just keep pressing in. Yeah. So let me ask you this question. Why do you think Jesus has made this journey that we're on full of suffering. Why is that a thing? Why does the journey to the kingdom of God, why is this uh, mission that we are on with Jesus involve so much suffering? I know when I hear just that sentence, I'm like, oh, yeah, why is it? Um, <laughs> and it just automatically sounds terrible. And then I think back to a lot of my moments in life with suffering and you know, we talked about Matt, especially for Enneagram 3s, how uh, we love to build our own little kingdoms. Mm. For me, my kingdom usually has me at the center. 
and is controlling all of the results and all of the outcomes. And it's extremely exhausting. But I know that there is life in dependence. There's life in my weakness. And I don't think I would get there unless I had suffering, unless I experienced suffering, unless those that kingdom started to be torn down. I think Elliot one time said that we're trying to build these little houses and he's trying to build a palace. Mm. And we're just so satisfied with like our little houses and suffering for me pulls me away from those little things I think are giving me life um, and that I'm living life to the full. And our God loves us so much that he's like, I'm not gonna let you live like that. I'm Mm. gonna pull those, tear those down and give you what your heart really needs, which is me. And so it feels integral (laughs) and it's necessary to our walk. I agree. When I stop and think about how God has used and does use suffering and pain in my life, very similar to what you shared, I think about it's trading me for Jesus. It's trading my little kingdom for his good and beautiful and eternal and strong kingdom. And it's also trading the me today that is still enslaved by so much sin and so much self and so much ignorance for the me that he is making me that I was made to be. You know, just think about any kind of growth, any kind of transformation process is never without pain. Yeah, Anna, we've talked a lot the last few months just about suffering that the Lord's allowing you to experience in this season of life. Would you mind sharing about that and also maybe if and how you see him using that right now? Yeah, it's been really difficult, but also really sweet to have a season where I am spending a lot of time alone. I'm living right now in my apartment alone and in a way forced to just sit and be with Jesus. And I can honestly say like the past I mean, it's been a long time, but especially the past few months have just felt really aimless, lost in where God wants me. And I think I've been hyper-focused on wondering where God really wants me to be and if I'm in alignment with His will. And I think that comes out of a place of really deeply desiring a lot of things that haven't come my way yet. That being really desiring to be married and with kids seeing other people being quarantined with their families and honestly feeling just a ton of sadness and disappointment that I'm not there and comparing Mm -hmm. my life to theirs or wishing that I was in a job where maybe I felt a little more meaning or where I could use my gifts um, and believing that I can't do that where I am and just hoping that something's going to come along that will just show me my purpose or that I'm worthy of being pursued. And I think this time in the quiet with Jesus, there's a older woman, her name's uh, Jill Briscoe. Do you know Jill Briscoe? I don't. She's this wonderful 85-year-old English woman (laughs) who travels and speaks and loves the Lord a lot. And she talks about sitting in the quiet on the steps of your soul with Mm. Jesus, sitting with him and saying like, what is it that I'm really desiring? And also being really honest, saying, Lord, I'm actually really sad and disappointed that this is not what my life looks like. And being able to say that while also saying like, this is hard, but I like, I want you to, and I want you to be with me and show me what you have for me, even if it's not that right at this second. Mm -hmm. And I think there's been a lot of suffering for me in even being able to admit that, to say that I'm sad and disappointed Mm -hmm. about 
not having a family or not being in the job that I thought I was going to be in because I want to have it together because I want to be able to say like this doesn't bother me as much as it actually does. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Matt, being able to admit my weakness and say like I have to be dependent on Jesus because this is actually really hard. And there does come a joy and a freedom in that. Like there can be both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. He's just day by day pulling me closer to him in that. Thank you for sharing that. As you were speaking, I was just made to think about a, an image that we have in the New Testament about what God is doing in our midst through the power of the gospel as Jesus is transforming us of birth. And just that picture of the sadness, but also the hope and the the beauty of knowing that something new is happening, that it's good. I can't understand it and it is painful, but this is where we are in the process. And I do trust him that he is birthing something new and good and beautiful out of these experiences that he's allowing me to experience. Okay, so now let's move on to strengthening one another's souls. It says that Paul strengthened the souls of the disciples. So first of all, we need that. My soul needs to be strengthened. And second of all, it's amazing that we can do that, <laughs> that God has given us the ability to walk alongside him and walk alongside our brothers and sisters and to, like, I can actually strengthen your soul. You can strengthen my soul. And uh, that's what he's doing in the body of the church. That's what he's doing in his body. And so, Anna, I want to ask you, how do we strengthen one another's souls in our suffering? How has your soul been strengthened by brothers and sisters in Christ? Yeah, it just reminds me why God set us up to live in close relationship along with him on this earth, um, the importance of that. And I just think of specific moments where a close friend or someone from church has been walking through a season where things weren't turning out the way that they hoped, where you know, they're saying it wasn't supposed to be this way, right? But um, who are being really honest in that journey, who are vulnerable and saying like, this is really hard and saying, would you sit with me and pray with me? And I think so often when things get really hard, like the world tells us, okay, it's time to just find something different. It's time to like move on. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times just run away and it'll fix itself. And how to me that would like strengthen my flesh. Like that would feel good to my flesh to run away, but to watch people say no to flesh and say yes to their soul really encourages me to do the same Mm. where they stayed when it was hard and put God first. I think I need to see that more often than I even realize because I know when I hear those stories or I'm sitting in those really honest moments with those people in their suffering, I just remember that like we're not home yet yeah, and heaven is coming and there's something more than just our flesh. Anna, I want to share a couple ways that you strengthened my soul. When our family moved here a year and a half ago, uh, we had a five-month-old. We had three little boys and the youngest was four or five months old. And uh, we didn't know hardly anybody and we were hurting because we were new and we were trying to figure everything out. And I had a lot on my plate with Midtown and getting ordained. And uh, Lee had a lot on her plate of being a stay-at-home mom with three little kids in a new place. And we needed some help. And so Anna was one of the first 
people who s- said, hey, I would love to babysit your kids. So just you meeting a need that we had, the Lord using you to meet that need and not only meet that need, but just uh, with joy and with friendship and love, like we were so thankful. And then that just started our our friendship with you, but also you strengthened my soul, just kind of what you just shared. Like I'm watching and have been watching you uh, walk by faith in the midst of some really frustrating circumstances. And that strengthens my soul to see God transforming you in the middle of what you're experiencing. Yeah. So I just want to share that with you. Thanks. But, you know, there's so many ways that we strengthen one another's souls. You know, think about prayer. When someone takes me to the Lord in prayer and I'm watching their faith at the same time that I'm watching their love for me, that is very strengthening to my soul. And I think about one of the biggest areas I think about is people applying the gospel to my life and to my heart over and over and over again. Because you think about this passage, these people already knew the gospel. They had already come to faith, but that's not all they needed. God sent Paul back to strengthen their souls in the gospel that they already had, because in the middle of new suffering, I need to hear the gospel again and be reminded that the gospel is still true, that Jesus still loves me. He's still with me. He's still working in me. He's still transforming me. He's still making all things new. And uh, when a brother or sister who is walking through the same kind of suffering can come and and speak that into my life, that's very powerful. It really is. I know I think about just the vision of sitting with someone else and praying out or crying out to God um, in prayer together, like just the power that is in those moments and that the Holy Spirit always moves in those moments too, to push us towards each other and push us towards Jesus. And I think that's something that I really want to do more is to just go and sit with someone in prayer um, instead of saying, hey, like, I'll pray for you, although that's also powerful, but just there's so much power in being able to sit with someone and like that physical representation of like, Jesus is with us and also like, I am physically with you. Yes. And Matt, I feel like you do that really well. And during this Mm. quarantine time, you've reached out weekly and seen how I've been doing. And that just reminds me of this concept of being with one another. Mm. Um, And it's really important. This is really a two-way street. I want to make sure we talk about this too. It's not just the person who is doing the strengthening, but in order for me to allow God to strengthen my soul through you, I have to let you in. I have to allow you into my life. And so a, a couple of things that I have to be willing to do, and then, you know, as we're talking about Congregation 5, if we are going to be the church for one another, and we are going to be this kind of strengthening and encouraging community, then that means that I have to show my weakness to you, that I have to tell you when I'm not doing okay. I have to tell you when I don't have what it takes to face the things that I'm facing right now, and I have to confess my sin to you. That is this huge place where I I am praying for us. It is so easy to forget the gospel when we think about confessing sin and repenting uh, because that sounds very scary. But let me paint a new picture there. What's actually happening is, remember, the grace of God in Jesus never changes. So we never have to fear shame or guilt or death or condemnation. So we are safe. We are free. We are okay. But what happens when I am living in sin 
and I'm burying that sin, it's actually doing damage to me, to my soul, even to my physical body. (laughs) There are physical effects of me carrying the weight of unconfessed sin. And so what Jesus is doing is he is prompting us all the time to bring our sin to him and to our brothers and sisters. And the reason is so that he can free us of it. (laughs) It's not Mm -hmm. so that we can receive shame or condemnation because that's already been dealt with, but it's so that we can be set free. And so if I am going to be strengthened, if my soul is going to be strengthened by you, I have to have the freedom to come to you and be really honest about my weakness and my sin. Because a lot of our lives are asking in new situations if the gospel is still true, and we need to be reminded that it is. So when I experience new suffering and I'm tempted to think that Jesus is no longer with me or he no longer cares or he's no longer powerful, then I'm asking, I'm confessing my weakness and saying, is the gospel still true for me even when I'm this weak? And I need my brothers and sisters to say, yes, it is. And then when I sin, when I do something I never thought I would do or I was done sinning in this way, but then I do it again, and I confess that sin and say, is the gospel still true now? I need my brothers and sisters to say, yes, it's still true. God still loves you the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, I think that there is a threshold to how many times I can mess up and receive grace or how many times I can even be vulnerable. Kind of what you said about experiencing new suffering, I never thought that I would do this or experience this. And I often believe that at some point after being vulnerable so many times about my suffering that I'm going to hit a threshold and like my closest people are be like, okay, that's enough. And again, I think so much of it is riding on how can I protect my self-image and make sure that like I might be broken, but I'm not this broken. Like, <laughs> like it's bad, yeah. but it's not that bad. Oh, And it is, but it's also like you said, I need my brothers and sisters to say like, in this deep weakness, you are now like in more dependence on Jesus. You're just continually needing to be reminded that in your weakness, like he is so strong yes, and he is holding you up and... Like, I need to be told that. And it's not that necessarily anything new is happening as much as it is God is opening our eyes more and more to what we already have and what we've always had in Christ. But I'm so glad you said it like that because there are a lot of churches that function that way. And I am praying (laughs) to the Lord and His grace and His mercy that He would not allow Congregation 5 to function like that, to where... A bunch of people come and say, well, yes, I'm a sinner technically, but I'm not that bad. And when whatever that bad is, whenever we cross that line, then the the grace of God runs out. And so I am going to be open to an extent that I think is socially acceptable. And then after that, I'm going to be terrified to let the real me show because I think that there really is a cutoff point. It's like believing before the exploration that the world is flat and you're going to fall off the edge of the world. (laughs) It's like we believe that the gospel is true to some extent, and then we get to the end, and then we're going to fall off, and God's never going to love us again, and people (laughs) will never want to spend time with us. But would you want to go to a church like that? (laughs) Would you want to be a part of a church um, like that? uh, No, thanks. I'm going to pass. I think we would all say, no, thanks, but we in our sin are always trying to build that kind of church. Absolutely. Because I don't want to be 
honest and confessing my weakness and my sin to build the kind of church that we really do want to be a part of. And so we need God's grace and His supernatural power to have and live out of the kind of humility and courage that we need to to build the kind of church that He wants to build and is building um, in Congregation 5. And so as we get to the end of our time, the picture that the Lord is painting for me in this passage is the kind of transformation that He is doing in us is this simultaneous strengthening of our souls, giving us more of Him, opening our eyes to more of what we have in Jesus, while at the same time weakening our flesh through pain and suffering. And it made me think about this passage in in 2 Corinthians uh, 4, verses 7 through 11. And I want to read this, and I want to encourage everybody that's listening to this to take this week and meditate on that passage and pray through that passage for yourself, but also for our church, that the Lord would allow us to live like this so that our our church would be the body of Christ in the way that He has designed us to live. So this is uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 11. But we have this treasure of the gospel in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. It's this idea that God is using their suffering that he allows us to experience redemptively to show that we are weak. We're not the ones who are powerful. We're not the ones who are going to do anything, but that we have Jesus. We have the power of Jesus and the grace of Jesus, and he is transforming us, and he is doing beautiful things in and through us, even when we are weak. And it's really even in that weakness. It's in the death of our body, like Paul says, that the life of Christ is able to be seen. I wanted to share a vision that I had or that the Lord put on my heart. I last semester had been attending some Wednesday night, just speaker series, essentially. Um, and one of the speakers was um, Paige Benton Brown, who's at West End Community Church. And she was talking about a passage in Joshua where the Israelites enter the promised land and they've miraculously crossed over the Jordan River on dry ground. And Joshua commands 12 of the men to take stones from the Jordan and says, hey, hold on to these stones. And when your future children ask you what these stones mean, you're going to be able to say, this is what my God did. And so um, as we were talking about suffering and tribulation and holding those stones, those reminders of these seasons and moments that were um, incredibly difficult and looking at them and not saying, okay, what do these stones mean just to me? What does this mean for my life? But instead say like, what do these stones say about my God? Mm. And all of us holding those stones and saying, this is who our God is. And as a church being able to do that and praise God through those moments, I think is really sweet and important to remember. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, to go back to this this passage in Acts, you know, that we would be a church made up of men and women with scars from all the rocks that have yeah. hit our face, yeah. holding stones of God's faithfulness. I think that's a beautiful picture. Yeah. Anna, I'm so thankful for you, and thank you for coming in today. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> let me pray for us. 
Father, we, we give you our lives, we give you this body, and we ask that you would build a community of men and women who wear our scars and are honest about our shortcomings and our failings and our neediness so that we can be a community of strength and encouragement. Lord, that we would be a people who you would use in this city in this community, uh, in our neighborhoods, to bring life and to bring life in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of sin. Lord, that uh, your goodness, your love, your beauty, your grace would shine through uh, the cracks in these uh, jars of clay. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.